I've got something else for you. Well, he's got a word for us today from his word, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 26. We're going to look at verses 26 through 30, the institution of the Lord's Supper and what that means for us. And I've got really dirty glasses, and if you ever wear glasses, you hate that when they're dirty, but they're either fogged up or dirty, so we're just going to live with it. Hopefully I can see clearly. Uh, But we're going to look at Jesus in the upper room with his disciples at the Passover when he institutes this meal as a reflection for us as we conclude Advent. And the big idea is that Christmas is a feast of joy as we wait for our king. So uh, Christmas, what we've just experienced, the end of Advent, now into Christmas time in the liturgical calendar, it's just a feast of joy as we wait for our king to return and establish his kingdom forever. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, and he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, good and holy God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the incarnation, the reality of your birth, Jesus, that we've celebrated as a people yesterday and that we've been anticipating for this month of Advent and we long for your return in light of it. Lord, if we've been viewing Christmas rightly, it's to be an appetizer for your coming again and your establishment of the permanent kingdom of the Father we would live with you for all of eternity. Lord, give us hope in that reality to carry us through our current circumstance and experience. Today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to hear the truth that you would have for each of us, and that you'd help me proclaim it with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can, as usual, find Reservoir Church under events, and all of the scripture and notes will be there Uh, for you, or they'll be on the screen, or you can just listen um, as well. So Christmas is a feast of joy as we wait for our king. I was so excited that we sang Joy to the World, and Dave, by putting that in the set list this morning, saved you from having to sing it right now, because I was going to force you all, like old school carolers, to sing it. Um, But just remind you of some of the lyrics of that song, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, the earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. And, and heaven, oh, see, you're cheating, Joey. You're helping them. And then, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. So there's this joyous reality of creation that's happening. And no more let sin and sorrows grow the end of sin and sorrow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This image of the renewal of all things and he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love 
We love that Christmas carol at Christmas time, but every time we sing it, I'm kind of tickled a little bit by it because there's an extra dash of joy that comes when you realize that this song is actually more about Christ's second coming than his first. This is more about when Christ will, will return victorious and reign forever rather than just the experience of his birth in that manger in Bethlehem. And this is Christian Advent for us. Experiencing the light of Christ's first coming, the undoing of sin and separation from God as he dwells among us. And it's the reality that engenders hope for his final coming when all things are made new. And in this season, we have been acquainted with the dark, with the cold, with the despair of our broken world as we've gone through the long wait, our Advent series. And along the way, as a church, we've determined to be kept through it all by Jesus. And now the light has come. The, the feasting has happened. The presence have been opened. And before we box up all the decorations, I want us to set our minds on the next feast. The meal yet to come. And Christmas is a feast of joy as we wait for our King. And we mind that thought from the culmination of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew 26. And it's toward the end of his gospel as Jesus gives his final exhortation to his followers. And then he heads to the place where the atonement of our sins will be earned and the chains of sin will be permanently broken. Because this is what the incarnation was for. This is what the birth was purposed for, to bring an end to sin and death through the work of the cross. And so be reminded this morning of the scene in Matthew 26. And Matthew starts this chapter um, with these words. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, when he had given answers to those that were challenging him, he told his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days and the Son of Man will be headed over, handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the high priest who was named Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. So that's the vibe at the moment when Jesus is at this meal with his disciples, with those who have been doing ministry with him for three years, that have followed him, heard his teachings, clung to the reality that he is the Messiah, the one that was promised of old to come. And then Jesus will be at another meal anointed by a woman with an alabaster jar. And then he celebrates Passover with his disciples. And we see in this story uh, the vital Hebrew feast marking redemption out of slavery. And the Lord provides a place for the meal. And there's betrayal that's unveiled. And then he institutes the supper that will actually sustain the church until he returns. This is the love feast of the church. This is the meal of the kingdom. This is communion, holding a remembrance of Christ's work and the experience of his very real presence among the believers each time that we partake in it. And in this scene, in Matthew 26, Jesus tells us something that is vital for our lives now, for our feasting and for our hoping. And it's just the truth that we have reason to feast. And holidays are nice enough reasons for feasting. Some of us did that yesterday around the Christmas table. How many of you had a good feast? 
Right? We'll compare recipes later and see if Kenny smoked more meat than me. Uh, but having family together is a great reason for feasting. Family from afar that comes into our lives and enjoys a celebration or being with dear friends. And it's all a good reason. It's all great. But here's the deal. I don't think we feast enough as a people. We don't gather around tables with nearly the joy that is afforded us. And I wonder if you, Reservoir Church, would be willing to institute a culture of feasting among us. That we'd be known for our celebration, our revelry in the gift of grace that Christ has given us. The truth is that we let too much get in the way and cloud out celebration, crowd out the joy that comes with settled and sanctified living. We have crazy schedules. We have misplaced priorities. We have the numbing agents of our day, and they all get in the way of what we are meant to enjoy, and we forget then to enjoy the taste of this newness of life that we have in Christ that is promised to us by our Savior. And some of you are familiar with uh, Robert Capon, and he is a great old, was he, Phil, is he Episcopalian priest? Anglican priest, the good kind. They were the same once, and then they got crazy. Uh, but he was, he, he's written a, a great book, actually called The Marriage Supper of the Lamb, right? And it, it is actually just a cookbook. And it's phenomenal. So he's known for feasting, but anytime he talks about feasting and enjoying meal, it is, there's spiritual reality involved. And he wrote a prayer called, Give Us This Day Our Daily Taste. He says, Oh Lord, refresh, refresh our sensibilities and give us this day our daily taste. Restore to us soups that spoons will not sink in and sauces which are never the same twice. Raise up among us stews with more gravy than we have bread to blot it with and casseroles that put starch and substance in our limp modernity. Take away our fear of fat. Oh, preach. And make us glad of the oil that ran upon Aaron's beard. Give us pasta with a hundred fillings and rice in a thousand variations. And above all, give us grace to live as true people. To fast till we come to a refreshed sense of what we have. And then to dine gratefully on all that comes to hand. Drive far from us, O most bountiful All creatures of air and darkness cast out the demons that possess us. Deliver us from the fear of calories and the bondage of nutrition. And set us free once more in our own land where we shall serve thee as thou hast blessed us with the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Amen. I love that. You have to realize that this is both about food and not about food. Right? So we have to understand that as we think of feasting and what we see at the supper is that our lives are actually in Christ, feast ready because of what Jesus accomplished for us. We should be the jovial people. We should be the excited people celebrating what we've been given in Jesus. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. He would give over a life of obedience before the Father that is lived for us, a willing, perfect lamb and offering for the sins of the world. We'll never quite grasp the depth of this gift, what it means for God to come and take on flesh and dwell among us and then give himself for us. 
Instead, we just live in a, a constant state of narcissism our, ourselves, some of us worse off than others, because the self is ever before us, and we even try to shoehorn Jesus into the pursuit of self. And we've always put our preferences before others and his, and our passions before his. But here, the creator of the universe allows his body to be broken for us. To breathe his last, to give us mercy and grace, to give us that life that is his. And this cup, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In an eternal covenant of covering, of wrath-satisfying sacrifice, the very essence of life poured out for you, friends. This isn't like even a a generic pouring out, but it is for you individually and for a purpose to grant forgiveness of sins. To repair the breach between God and man, to make and take the human disregard and rejection of God and to deal with it once and for all. Forgiveness, absolution made right before God because of the blood of Christ. Like this is what we celebrate in the supper. This is what we celebrate in all of our feasting, a covenant to live in from here until we are home with him. As a pastor over the years, many people have told me, usually in relation to what the church offers, and we're a small church, we don't offer a lot of things, but people are often free in telling me what they need from a church or what they need from God in the moment. And every time that happens, so just prepare yourselves as you're going to tell me things that you need eventually in life. In my mind and sometimes out of my mouth, I will say things like, no, brother, you need Jesus. You need forgiveness. David Powelson, a great counselor who's been, uh, went to be with the Lord this last year. And he has a little book on pastoral counseling. And he makes the comparison of what pastors bring to the counseling environment uh, against what clinicians do. And we, in this church, we love therapists, clinical counselors, and we can all benefit from therapy. So I'm advocating for it. But within the church and without the church are different experiences. And we have to understand that. What you get from pastoral counseling is going to look a little different than what you get from the counseling center downtown. And David Pallison makes this point, and he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who writes, worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man. And so it does not know that man is destroyed by his sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. Only the Christian knows this. And in the presence of a psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. But in the presence of a Christian brother, I can dare to be a sinner And the psychiatrist must first search my heart, and yet he never plumbs its ultimate depth. The Christian brother knows when I come to him, here is a sinner like myself, a godless man who wants to confess and yearns for God's forgiveness. So it's ultimately what we need, and it is provided freely in Christ. And we really, friends, we've talked about this before. We can't make too much of the blood of Christ because we can't make too much of forgiveness. It's what our hearts ultimately long for. And it's what we, we desperately need to experience 
in our lives. And it's the very thing that carries us into the new life that is promised and motivates our mission in every corner of life. And it's more than merely just a covering for bad behavior. Forgiveness is actually our spark for life. It's uh, forgiveness as fuel is how we live. In Christ, we are no longer left in the pit. We possess new life. We wear his righteousness and we anticipate real life with him for eternity. And what a great miracle he has worked to bring us to himself through his life, death, and resurrection, the ones, us, incapable of living up to the standard, are by him rescued, given a perfect record, and empowered to live this adventurous life in Christ. That's what he starts with in this meal, his body broken for us, and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And this is where we finally awaken to the reality of sin and separation from God, of our need for something that is beyond us, for a righteousness that is foreign to us. It's all produced by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Believing in him, this forgiveness then is applied and our hearts are made new and we enter into real life with Christ. And we become people living in the way of Jesus. We exist as citizens of his kingdom, ambassadors of Christ and his grace to a hurting and hungry world, a world that's hungry for forgiveness. His grace, his forgiveness is reason for feasting, to live with joy because we've received his welcome. So now that we can extend it to others, we can laugh more. We can make lots of toasts at meals and we can fill our plates with celebration in him. And we need the reminder of these reasons. And that's why every week at Reservoir, we share communion. We take the Lord's Supper because some of us, me included, are prone to forget We're more likely to wallow in the experience of our week, in the hardship of our week. And the supper each time we come to the table is an invitation back into joyful feasting. Because the work is done, the wrath has been satisfied, and we have a new life in our Savior. This is seeing the light and living in it. So Christian, hear me this morning. You have reason to feast. So get on with it. Throw more parties, rejoice in your salvation in Christ and live as if it is actually as good as it is. And and there may not be actual food at your feast, but our attitude and our energy is that of feasting as followers of Jesus. And I advocate for more food. Clearly, you can see that in my frame. But what has been done by Jesus eggs us on. But there is more, friends, because there is a coming meal that keeps us hopeful while we wait for the renewal of all things. And all feasts build towards that ultimate feast. Now, some feasts are louder than others, but all of our feasting is is whispering of what is to come. And Jesus hints at it here. Did you did you see it? Did you hear it? In Matthew 26, 29, and he says, But I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Just get a grasp of what he's saying there. And this matches the sentiment of Robert Capon's 
prayer where he says, give us grace to live as true people, to fast until we come to a refreshed sense of what we have and then to dine gratefully on all that comes to hand. Because don't you, I mean, some of us did this yesterday, right? When, the, when a big meal is at hand, when we're preparing for it, a feast is on the horizon. Don't you fast a little bit beforehand? Like we even said to the kids, oh, they're looking at the clock. They're like, oh, it's lunchtime. It's like, no, we're just going to snack a little bit. There's going to be a shard. How do you say it? Charcuterie? I always say charcuterie. And it's, it's funnier. But so you just you snack a little because you want to take in the whole meal of the feast. You want to go big at the Christmas table. So where we go on feasting because Jesus tells us to in instituting the supper, as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. Jesus is actually fasting in preparation for the great feast that is yet to come. Until that day when he will drink it new with us in the Father's kingdom. So this is a reality. Jesus is not going to pour a glass of wine until the kingdom comes in full. I love stories that have the victor's feast in them. Right? The old Viking lore where battles won and the king throws a huge party. You often see it, right? Or in our modern vernacular when the Avengers save the world and they have shawarma afterwards. Right? The blows have been thrown and taken. The blood and sweat have been shed. And one has risen to victory over the enemy. And there's just celebration and feasting afterwards. And Jesus is saving the fruit of the vine for his victor's feast. It's the truth that there is no question of if he will have a victor's feast. It is just a matter of when he will have this feast. In each of our feasts, from now until then, each expression of joy and celebration for the forgiveness of sin and the empowerment of new life just builds up to that meal, this marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the truth. Babylon is the system of the world will fall and the feast will come, friends. We see it in Revelation 19 as John has this vision and he says after this I heard something like the loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying hallelujah salvation glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hand. The second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of a loud thunder saying, hallelujah, before, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Oh, that day. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage supper has come and his bride has prepared herself. She has given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, these words of God are true. Yeah. 
I mean, am I the only person in church this morning that's excited to feast with Jesus? Yeah. Like, this is our destination. This is where we're headed. Each time you clink a glass, enjoying friendship, family, and savoring the grace of Christ, you are just pointing, you are whispering of what this meal is going to look like with Jesus. I can't imagine the toast he's going to finally give when he raises that glass. The one that reigns over all things, that has killed sin and death once and for all, that has given you new life, empowered you by his spirit, and called you to live as ambassadors in his kingdom. Yes. Yeah. That's as Pentecostal as we get, Char. <laughs> but you all, you're going to dance in this day. Presbyterians in this, at this meal are going to be dancing and the Pentecostals are going to be nervous about it. Uh. I cannot wait. Who do I hang with? I don't know. <laughs> but each hallelujah, every feast that praises God for his blessing and goodness, which all of our feasts should, friends. His grace then points towards us to this feast where Jesus will raise a glass and savor this wine with us. And I cannot wait for that moment. What a glorious day it will be. The journey that Christmas, that the incarnation launches us on. What grace, what joy, a God that feasts with his own. And after Jesus instituted this supper, Matthew writes, this description, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Just kind of like a slid in descriptor there to end the section of the text. But with full bellies and the potential for full hearts, they head into what is essentially spiritual battle. Right? Peter would even think it's physical battle in this moment. He'd be corrected by Christ. But they head into what is the worst. Because the manger leads here to Jesus heading to the cross. With a heart toward the ultimate feast that he's just described by saying he's abstaining from this cup from now until I can drink it new with you. Owning forgiveness of sin. Jesus heads into the breach and he invites us along. We, friends, fight with a turkey leg in our hands. Feasting because the king has come, living steadfast because he is coming again. And it's enough to keep us, to give us joy in the midst of the chaos of life. And it's enough to hope us, to sustain us until our help comes. Each moment is just building toward that supper. And then we'll raise a glass with our Savior. I know how sweet it will be. Christmas is a feast of joy as we wait for our king. It's not too late to feast. If you, if you overcooked the prime rib yesterday, you can try again today. Right? You can feast over McDonald's. Some of you know it's a spiritual experience. But whatever it is before you, we can approach it for the glory of God and with the joy of celebratory feasting because Jesus has claimed us as his own. So friends, receive the forgiveness of Christ, the peace between God and man that his cross gives to us, the hope of newness of life by his spirit, the gift of a place to call home for eternity. 
and then feast. Run towards joy with all of who you are and find it, friends, in Christ. Extend it to others when you find it that they too might grab a bite to eat and rejoice in Jesus. I want us to close with the same hymn that inspired Isaac Watts' hands to write joy to the world, that it might inspire our singing and feasting for the glory of Christ. And it comes from Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has performed wonders. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. The Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. Let the whole earth shout to the Lord. Be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horns. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. And let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth and He will will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Friends, we have reason to feast as we wait for our king. Let's go feasting. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I long for this day. Even as we wake up in a world that continues in chaos, the uncertainty, the unknown, some of our friends and dear um, beloved family are sick. Others are just emotionally wrecked by what we've experienced over the last two and a half years. Some of us are wrecked by our own sin and our, our penchant for returning to uh, the, the vomit of it, the grossness of it, when we know that you have something better for us. And Lord, we see this meal, this marriage supper of the Lamb as the better you have for us. That because your body was broken and given for us and your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, that we are destined for that meal. Lord, help us to receive that forgiveness of sins and to feast because of it. That you would be glorified and we would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we're going to feast with the most ridiculous little cups of juice and bread. And I promise you're going to be blown away by the, the cup.